the podcast from Belmont Chapel in Exeter, sharing the story, living the life. For more information, go to belmontchapel.org.uk. Well, good evening, and may I add my welcome to you. This evening, we're in week seven of our series, We Are Church. Now, in this series, we're using Paul's first letter to the young church in Corinth to reflect on what it means to be the people of God here in Exeter. Now, if you did not hear Gemma's talk last week, can I encourage you to listen to it via the Belmont website? In many ways, what I'm going to say tonight continues the message she gave last week. Now, to begin with, I want to make two quick points about 1 Corinthians 7. Firstly, as I prepared for tonight, the first book I read was Craig Blumberg's commentary on 1 Corinthians. And some of the first words Craig says about 1 Corinthians are... Few passages of scripture have been more abused and ripped from their historical moorings than 1 Corinthians 7. He reminds us that this letter was written to real people living real lives, struggling to work out how to live as the people of God in Corinth in the first century. Now, we can certainly learn from Paul's advice in 1 Corinthians 7, but we must also recognise that our lived experiences Our context is different from theirs. I often say this to myself before I read the Bible. The Bible was written for us to guide our lives, but it was not written to us. It was written to people living in a very different time and place. John Stott has a different expression, but means the same thing. You've got to hold the Bible in one hand and a newspaper in the other. Now, my second point to start off with is for those who know the material found in chapter seven, let me start perhaps by disappointing you. Probably actually not the best way to start a talk at all. If you've come here tonight to hear me use chapter seven to present the Belmont view on marriage, divorce and singleness, I'm sorry, but you're going to be disappointed. This chapter certainly feeds into Belmont's view in these areas. But Belmont takes the whole sweep of scripture when coming to a position on a particular issue. We try and stay away from proof texting, i.e. just quoting one or two verses to justify what we believe and do. Paul's comments in chapter 7 will certainly help us develop a systematic biblical position on the topics of marriage, divorce and singleness, but only when we put them alongside other texts. Now, if these topics are of interest to you, Then this time last year, we ran a series called Together, which explored four areas of dating, marriage, friendship and singleness. Recordings of those talks are available on the church website. Just look for October 2022. And 10 years ago, back in 2013, Belmont reviewed its position on divorce and remarriage. And there are talks on this topic also on the church website for February 2013. The leadership also produced a document for members explaining how they had come to their new position. Well, by now you may be thinking, what am I going to talk about tonight if it's not marriage, divorce, singleness? So let me move on to the passage. Does anyone recognise this phone? Okay, it's a phone. It's an Apple. Do people actually know which version of Apple phone this is? 
This is actually the first generation Apple. This is the first Apple phone that was ever produced. And I wonder how many people here tonight could call themselves first generation Christians, the first members of their families to be disciples of Jesus. I'm a first generation Christian. I wasn't brought up in a Christian home. I never went to church until I was 21. I wonder if you think there's an advantage or a disadvantage to being a first generation Christian. The Christians in Corinth were first generation Christians in many ways like me. Through the work of Paul and others, for me it was through my friends, these people from Jewish, Greek and Roman backgrounds had responded to God's call. I responded to my student friends when I was at university. But I have an advantage compared to the Corinthian first generation community. I had the Bible to help me decide what the Christian life should look like. I also had access to numerous books, articles, CDs, no podcasts back in those days or YouTube. Almost two thousands of church history to guide me, to help me understand what it means to be a Christian, but also what it means to live out Christian faith. The Corinthians not only had not grown up in Christian homes like many of us here. Yes, perhaps some of them had grown up in Jewish families, but many had not. And the new covenant teaching of Jesus was both similar and different to Jewish old covenant teaching. These first generation Christians had far fewer resources to use to work out what it meant to live as the people of God in Corinth. Yes, Paul had spent time with them. Others had come. They had to work out together what aspects of their old lives they could continue with and what aspects they had to leave behind. In the first couple of weeks of this series, we heard how the Corinthian Christians were fractured. They were separated into different groups. They were all claiming slightly different things about how to live for God. They followed different teachers. And clearly some of these teachers had mixed together Christian and non-Christian ideas. So in chapter seven, Paul continues to teach them how to live faithful lives as a minority faith. So if you have a Bible, then please open it to chapter seven. Now, I wonder if you've ever noticed what topics Paul writes about. Verses one through to 16 cover sex within marriage, singleness and then divorce. And verses 25 to 40, singleness, marriage and remarriage. Perhaps this is why so many people use this chapter to talk about these subjects. But the chapter is like a sandwich. It's like a burger or like a panini. Choose your analogy based on your preferred filled bread. There is a middle which you often do not hear talked about so much. But this middle section has so much to say to us about living as Christians in Exeter, surrounded by people who hold very different values to us. So let us read this middle section, the filling in the chapter. And as we do, see if you can spot any theme to Paul's writing. What does he want the Corinthians to learn and apply to their lives? Let me give you a clue. Look for any repeated language. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, starting at verse 17. Nevertheless, each of you should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to you, just as God had called you. This is the rule I lay down in all the churches. 
Was a man already circumcised when he was called? He should not become uncircumcised. Was a man uncircumcised when he was called? He should not become circumcised. Circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing. Keeping God's commands is what counts. Each of you should remain in the situation you were in when God called you. Were you a slave when you were called? Don't let it trouble you, although if you can gain your freedom, do so. For those who were slaves when called to faith in the Lord are the Lord's freed people similarly. Those who were free when called are Christ's slaves. You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of human beings. Brothers and sisters, all of you, as responsible to God, should remain in the situations in which God called you. So I wonder what you noticed about these eight verses. How would you summarise the passage's main ideas? Did you notice the language at the start and end of the passage? Verse 17. Nevertheless, each of you should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned you, just as God has called you. And in verse 24, brothers and sisters, all of you as responsible to God should remain in the situation in which God called you. May I encourage you to read the whole of chapter seven this week and look for the theme or the language of remain as you are. It crops up time and time again. Paul clearly wants them to get the point. It's a clear theme across the whole chapter. For example, Remain in normal sexual relations with your husband or wife. Verse 3. To the unmarried stroke widowers and widows, stay unmarried. Married couples, do not separate. Verse 10. Even mixed marriages, believers and unbelievers, do not divorce. Verse 12. Do not become uncircumcised. 18. Do not become circumcised. 19. Slaves remain slaves, although owners may change. Verse 21. Unmarried, remain as you are. Verse 26. The widow will be happier if she stays as she is, verse 40. And right in the middle of chapter 7, in the middle of the middle passage, each person should remain in the situation they were in when God called them, verse 20. Now, Paul seems keen to present a consistent message to the church. Paul sets the Corinthian church a principle to guide their lives by. Remain as you are. Live Christian lives in the circumstances you were in when you came to believe in Jesus. Don't assume changing your circumstance is best for you. So why does this seem to be such a strong message from Paul? Why does Paul appear to be so against change? I think one key reason was that the people of Corinth in general were fixated on social status. There was a strong hierarchy in general uh, Corinthians culture. Success in life was measured by your social status, your social connections, who you knew and who knew you. The Corinthians spent their lives trying to get to the top, trying to be of great influence in the city, controlling what others did, becoming a patron to others. People would come to them. Patrons had the power, the wealth and authority to lend money, to sort out problems for people. And in turn, the people gave them loyalty back. This is why people sponsored civic building projects 
on the slide, there's um, a stone carving with the name of somebody who sponsored the building. It's famous. Archaeologists have found hundreds of these. They also schemed to get the top public jobs. So in Corinth, we had the Isthmian Games, the second most important games after the Olympic Games. And people used to vie and hold elections to be the leader, the organiser of that event. Now, Corinthian society allowed people to be very socially mobile, to both rise to the top of society, but also to fall from a great height. People spent considerable time, money and effort manipulating people and situations to gain a social advantage, to be seen as successful. Well, we don't live in the first century Corinth, but in 21st century Exeter. So I wonder, how do people in Exeter measure success? I think historically it's probably linked to material wealth, maybe a big house, a fast car, expensive holidays perhaps certain careers or where you live. But I do think that how people in Exeter measure success has changed in recent years, perhaps due to the rise in social media and other forms of communication. Who you know or who you influence, how many follow you, how many times you're retweeted or whatever the latest word is for the new name, who you know or influence is certainly seen as increasing measure of your success, in a way similar to the values of first century Corinth. So I think it's a helpful spiritual discipline to regularly ask ourselves individually or collectively as a community of God's people, have we subconsciously adopted measures of success which our wider society embraces rather than those which God embraces? Before we turn to explore what a successful Christian life looks like, let me make a couple of further points about the issue of social status in Corinth. You may be thinking, why did Paul place the passage we read right in the middle of passages talking about marriage, divorce and singleness? What did one's social status in Corinth have to do with marriage or divorce, singleness? Well, the answer is everything. First century Greco-Roman marriages were overwhelmingly arranged marriages, particularly amongst the more wealthy. And it's the wealthy Christians in general which are causing a range of problems in the church. Arranged marriages tended to be older men marrying much younger women. Marriages were not for love, but to connect families and build influence. The wife's main role was to produce children those who would carry on the family's power and influence down through the generations. Sex, for pleasure, was generally found outside of the home, not inside it, and least of all not with the wife, although household slaves often provided that service. Marriages had no formal legal process in many ways in the Greco-Roman world, and divorces didn't either. A wife could literally find her bags packed and told to leave the house, to be replaced by a better socially connected model. Marriage was a means of gaining and maintaining social status and influence. Those who were not married, therefore, held less social status and so less influence in society, particularly if you're a woman. Women could gain social status by marrying well, but women had less control over who they married since their fathers often decided. 
childbearing was a risky business, so men often would have married multiple times in their lives to maintain social links with influential families. Widows could lose their social status when their husbands died, so often remarried again. So I hope you can see how complex 1 Corinthians 7 is. And secondly, I want to emphasise that Paul's principle in chapter 7, remain as you are, when you become a follower of Jesus, was there specifically to break the Corinthian obsession with social climbing. In this chapter, Paul also reminds the church that principles are general rules which have to apply to specific situations. So please, as I've said before, read chapter 7 this week, but this time also look and see how Paul allows individuals to override the principle in particular circumstances. For example, now to the unmarried and the widows, I say it is good for them to stay unmarried as I do. But if you cannot control themselves, they should marry for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Verses 8 and 9 or verses 27 to 28. Are you pledged to a woman? Do not seek to be released. Are you free from such a commitment? Do not look for a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. Paul reveals his pastoral heart when he gives people permission to ignore the very principle he has already given them in particular circumstances. We've already heard verse 21 in our reading tonight. Were you a slave when you were called? Don't let that trouble you. Although if you can gain your freedom, do so. So back to the question of success. What do you think a successful Christian life looks like? What does a successful church community look like? Well, Paul helpfully tells us what success should look like for the Corinthian church. He gives the church another general principle. And we discover this in verse 35 as he talks to the unmarried men and women. I am saying this for your own good, not to restrict you but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. That you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. The title of tonight's talk in the term card and focus is We Are Devoted. The phrase is taken from this very verse. Paul observes that unmarried men and women can give undivided devotion whilst the devotion of those who are married will be divided between God and their partners and possibly children and circumstances. So Paul tells people to remain as they are because he wants them not to be concerned about their own status, influence or power, but instead to be concerned about God's status, influence and power. Personal status is not a value that God is interested in. For Paul, success is living a life of devotion to God, placing God at the centre of everything you do, maximising your devotion to God, whatever your personal circumstances are. There is a word we could use to describe when we replace God at the centre with something else, idolatry. And part of the problem in the church in Corinth was that too many were more concerned with what others thought of them than with what God thought of them. They were more interested in themselves than in God. If the people of God are called to devote themselves to God, 
I wonder what words, ideas and activities of devotion come to mind. What does devotion look like for individuals and for the church community as a whole? In our earlier reading this evening, Paul used a different expression to say the same thing he says in verse 35. In verse 19, he says, circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing. Keeping God's command is what counts. So this circumcision, uncircumcision is referencing that one's ethnic background, Jewish, Greek or Roman, does not matter. And by commands, Paul is referring to Jesus's reinterpretation and application of the law for the new covenant age. Jesus' summary of the law, loving God and loving your neighbours, being other-centred, not self-centred, having God at the centre of our lives and our love of God flowing outwards into the lives of others. Paul calls on the Corinthian church to be more interested in God than in their social status, to invest time and energy growing their relationship with God rather than growing their social status, to be counter-cultural, to live by God's priorities, God's values. Now, all of us here are at different stages and phases in our lives. All of us here have different personalities and spiritualities, just like the church in Corinth. So how we show devotion to God in the nitty gritty day in, day out may vary from person to person. As we choose how to use our time, energy, talents, gifts and material wealth, our God-given resources to love God and love our neighbours. What we do in our daily lives reveals what we value. What we do reveals who we truly worship. Now, although I'm not a great fan of Kevin DeYoung's book, Just Do Something, Clive suggested that I should reread his closing paragraphs this week when we chatted about 1 Corinthians 7. And he's got a point. I have to give it um, to Kevin DeYoung. He makes a good point. I'm paraphrasing slightly in this quote. So the end of the matter is this. Live for God. Think of others before yourself. Be holy. Love Jesus. In all of these things, be guided by scripture. And as you do these things, do whatever you like with whomever you like, wherever you like, and you'll be walking in the will of God. You see, 1 Corinthians 7 teaches us that successful Christian living occurs when we stop trying to be the centre of attention and instead make God the centre of attention. So why not spend some time this week reviewing how many ways you put God at the centre of your activities and thoughts, how God shapes what you do day in, day out, how you have devoted your God-given resources to him and your neighbours rather than yourself. 